0: Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the Sink or Swim podcast. My name is Nick. I'm an MS4. I will be your host today, along with
1: Vikram Patel. I'm uh, also an MS4. And we have three guests with us today.
2: I'm Veronica. I'm an MS1.
3: I'm Andrew. I'm an MS2. And
2: I'm Daricel. I'm an MS3.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, the goal of this podcast is really we wanted to go through M1 to M4 year and just talk about the various um, challenges and what's expected in the different stages um, all the way from m1 so maybe an m1 can you know give some insight to somebody who's pre-med down to m4 who would have like vikram and i will have some insight into the m3 year the m2 year etc
1: yes so i think we're trying to see how a medical student progresses what's challenges are at each stage of your education and also the perspective gained by looking backward to our M1 years or, you know, as an M3, Darisol will be able to tell us a little bit about how she perceives the preclinical years now that she is in clinical. So with that being said, I kind of wanted to start with uh, the preclinical years, M1 year in specifically, because that's, I think, the first big transition that happens from pre-medical, so undergrad or master's or what have you, into medical education, I know it's a huge transition and I kind of want to ask Veronica or M1 what she thought of the difficulty and as well as how she adapted.
4: Yeah, so I will say um, part of M1, I think, is the diversity in class, whether you're coming in straight from college or kind of had some time off if you did decide to take gap years. I feel like for me, having uh, two gap years kind of made a really big difference in how I transitioned because I had some time off from school and I kind of had some real world experience. So I think that of course has its advantages and of course it's disadvantages when you're getting into a really rigorous curriculum. Uh, So I think for me, the biggest transition was kind of getting back into the mode of having a lot of work to do in terms of school and keeping up with that pace. Um, I think that's kind of where the biggest shift was for me. And of course, medical school has its own challenge in the set that it's it's different than anything you've ever done. It's different than undergrad, no matter where you went to undergrad or how challenging. I feel like I went to UNC Chapel Hill and that was very challenging for me, but it still does not compare to medical school at all, especially with the fundamentals block that kind of starts you off. It really is its own world to get accustomed to. Wow,
0: that's really like awesome that you shared that with us. Um, Can I ask you a quick question? So just to get a little more clarification, what did you do in your two gap years and how do you think that helped you?
4: Yeah, so I spent most of my time in gap year um, as a medical assistant at an OBGYN office. So I kind of really got to see what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and the day-to-day aspect of what being an OBGYN is all about. Um,
1: I just kind of want to ask, you said that no matter where you go to undergrad, you know medical school is going to be much harder, at least academically speaking. And I definitely agree, and I think most people in this room will agree with that as well. So, how did you change your studying style, if you even changed it? How did you adapt to this like increased course load? Uh, like, what things did you try out that kind of worked, and if other things that you have tried that didn't work, can you kind of elaborate on that?
4: Yeah. So, I think the biggest shift um, kind of goes from because it is a lot of material, you have to get used to the fact that you cannot know everything as good as you want. And there are points where you're gonna have to move on because there's every day there's something new and the subject changes every single day, especially in fundamentals where it's a little bit of everything. So it's kind of difficult at first when you're used to, for example, me, I used to take notes in college And going from being very in-depth with note-taking to getting into medical school, it's just, it's rough. So I did try note-taking at first and it definitely did not work as well as I wanted it to because, again, you had to keep up with material every single day and it takes up a lot of time. So I do know people that it works well for, but for me, it just did not work. Um, And I kind of had to switch a little bit more to spaced repetition and I feel like that has made a difference in how confident I feel about the material. So... I think space repetition with Anki, if anybody's heard of it out there, has made a big difference for me.
0: And I think that's really funny because we're all like laughing and nodding as she was saying (laughs) uh, like we changed our study habits and stuff and like just the rigor and the pace.
1: Yeah so I actually wanted to uh, see what Andrew thinks of Andrew and Darisol also think about this and you know during your M1 how did you change your studying style or what did you think of the transition?
3: Well so I'll comment on the transition first. The biggest thing uh, like um, was said earlier is that there is so much information and you can't know it all. But on top of that, because there's so much information, there's not enough time in the day for them to actually teach it to you. So on top of having to know all of this stuff, you now are going from an environment where you maybe had good lectures that taught you all the information you need to know for the test to something where you'll show up for lecture, they'll tell you their favorite things or sometimes something completely random, and then you'll be tested on something different. So it's up to you to kind of fill in the gaps and spend all your extra time. Going back and looking at the material using a variety of different resources. I know for me in undergrad, you know, I went from like being a straight A student who didn't really have to study for that much to failing the first fundamentals test. (laughs) And that was a big shock, right? I had to really self evaluate and be like, okay, I obviously have to study for med school. And now all I do is study, Uh, you know, having moved on to the organ system blocks and things like that it doesn't change from fundamentals. It's still all different topics every single day. And I mean, yes, there's some more relation between what you're learning, but at the end of the day, it's just as much of a mess.
2: As far as for me, I completely agree with Veronica. I was one of those students that would always take notes in beautiful colors and just have it super organized and be obsessed with like knowing every detail. but going into fundamentals, you really learn to um, to not obsess so much over the details, but really understand the big picture and kind of like mechanisms uh, for you to be able to make decisions later on when it comes to the questions. Um, so that's that, that was kind of like the big shift uh, for me. And also just like guiding yourself with the learning objectives, not necessarily like trying to um, trying to like memorize every single one of them, but just being familiar with those learning objectives. I think that kind of like helped me at least when I was navigating fundamentals to stay on track and not really like derail too much.
0: Yeah, and I, I found it interesting that you guys, it seemed like everybody here changed their study habits going from undergraduate to um, medical school um a lot of that was like the taking notes i think a couple of you mentioned so we actually just did a podcast going over the various medical school resources so did you guys take advantage of those outside resources besides lecture and like how much did you use those and like we could start with veronica m1
4: yeah i'll say that i feel outside resources are a really big part of medical school Again, like Andrew said, like lecture can only kind of teach you so much. There's very limited time and there's a lot of material to go through. I feel like resources outside that are like cover board material are really strategic to use because they kind of tell you the big concepts. They tell you the high yield stuff that if you kind of want to go more into depth in, you can use a textbook, you can go into lecture slides. But I feel like those outside materials for me at least guide my studying and what I want to focus on.
3: Yeah, just to add to that, outside resources are 100% necessary to get through medical school. Now, what those outside resources are will differ from person to person. The textbooks will always have the most and most accurate information, however, the textbooks are awful. They are so long, the words are so small, and nothing makes sense the first time you read it. So then because of that, you have to move to some of the easier sources to use, like USMLE-Rx, where there's like bricks and things like that, that are a lot smoother of a ride when you're first learning it. The problem with that is going back to the learning objectives. Learning objectives from your class might not match the learning objectives for step 1 or step 2. And because of that, you have to fill in the gaps even more if you only rely on outside resources. So I know a lot of my peers in the second year have given up on lecture entirely, and they won't even go. Today, there was five people in a lecture, and it was a guest neurologist. So you would think more people would come, but only five people showed up. And the rest of them, I imagine, are watching the Boards and Beyond videos or doing Anki or doing all the other things that they use to prep. I have found that inside material, lectures and the things provided, in addition to these other things, is really the best way to go.
2: Um, I want to say facts to Andrew. Andrew. Uh, I was one of those people that would go to lecture every single lecture. I used to go to my first two years of preclinical. And I honestly don't regret it because the way that I structure was the reality. You need to have a few passes through the material to be able to learn it and to know it in a way that you feel comfortable sitting for the exam. So I would always like just make sure that I would go at least three passes through the material before um, before taking the exam. So I will go to lecture, that will be kind of like my second pass. Before the lecture, I will try to review the learning objectives for that specific lecture or lesson. Uh, and then after that, I will do my third pass and so forth. So um, as far as outside learning resources, yes, they are in a way necessary, just because they do reinforce whatever you're learning from your lectures and also uh, from your learning objectives as well. Uh, So that's kind of like the way that I use outside learning resources, more for me, for somebody that used to go to lecture every every single time.
1: I have something to add to that. So as someone who only used lectures during the first three months of my medical education, after which I, stopped going and I didn't I never actually went to lecture because day one we were told that if we had to go to the bathroom that you know like if we went too much it would be unprofessional or something like that I was like I don't have to go to lecture so I'll just watch it online and then that happened for five more days after that so and then after which I just w- just w- went over the slides because it was just so much faster to go through the slides than to actually listen to lecture even if it was at 1.5 times the speed so I just went through the slides I, that happened for three months. And then after that, fundamentals stopped and we hit systems. And once you hit systems, the beauty is everyone can cover a system really thoroughly for medical school. I mean, for pulmonology, I listened to 13 hours of lecture from a Stanford medical uh, Guru, he's one of the leading scientists for pulmonary physiology, and he taught at Stanford Medical School for a while. He's now retired, but Dr. West's pulmonary pulmonary physiology lectures are 13 hours on YouTube. Fantastic! I may not have clicked very well with whoever was teaching pulmonary physiology at my class. I don't even remember because at that point, I just like once I saw like 10 minutes of. Dr. West's lecture, I just fell in love. And I was like, I don't don't want any other resource. So since I had access to all of these great lectures, I almost never really had to rely on our school's lectures, which kind of seems bad. But I mean, if I can pick from hundreds of great lectures and pick the best ones that resonate well with me or my learning style, I think, like as medical students you owe it to yourselves to kind of explore other resources to see which ones you can learn i don't agree with just learning the most superficial amount you can do you can for boards and then calling it a day i definitely think learning in depth will help you at some point in time but again you don't need to learn at at a phd level so just a shout out so like you can learn in-depth information without like going to particular lectures that your school has. That's just my two cents.
0: Yeah, and just like one thing you mentioned was like the transition into systems. So just for, for our school, we have like a fundamentals course, which is what, like 12 weeks, I think? Yeah, yeah 12 it's weeks. 12 weeks. Yeah, and so we basically cover like all the basic stuff of like everything like pharmacology, microbiology, physiology, anatomy, all that stuff in like 12 weeks. And then we go through every organ system like hematology, cardiology, GI, whatever. Um, and I noticed it was a lot easier for me to learn the material in systems because I could use more outside resources and it was better like organized and it was easy easy to know like okay, I need to know everything about the heart or something as opposed to fundamentals where I felt like I need to know everything. You know? And <laughs> like That is what it feels like. Which <laughs> yes. isn't true. You you'll go back um to all that stuff. But that was just a comment. So my question for the M1 and also the M2 and 3 in M1 year, or I mean, you can also comment about M2 year, what what were your top resources you used outside of uh, lecture, material, textbooks, whatever, like outside resources?
4: So for me, I feel like it's kind of been a constant uh, to use boards and beyond from the beginning. Uh, right now, we're very like microbiology heavy. So Sketchy has been really big help for me to solidify all of the millions of bacteria and antibiotics and antivirals and viruses so that's a a big tool for me at the moment um but boards and beyond has been really big for me i also really uh, i know andrew mentioned it earlier um the bricks from usmlerx is really good to get like a first pass it really gives you like every word is a keyword i think no word is wasted on their resource it's like everything you need to know is in that one page so it kind of really tells you kind of what you should focus on and what you kind of want to go into more depth in Um, so I feel like that boards and beyond and sketchy right now are kind of what's what's it for me
3: yeah thinking back to the fundamentals block I definitely relied a lot on boards and beyond I didn't really vibe too much with sketchy in the cartoons I found myself just memorizing the pictures and like I couldn't recall what any of it meant. I just knew that there was some kid with like a three-headed axe somewhere. And I was like, yeah, okay. But what does that mean? I don't know. I actually think it's the triaxone, but yeah. that's unrelated. Um, so maybe I did remember something from the one or two sketchy videos I watched. So you know, there is something to it, to each their own, right? But as I progressed to the organ system blocks... I found that it changes every single system. Kind of what Vikram was talking about earlier. There are different videos and different sources that teach things better, and so you kind of have to figure out what that is for the block and what that is that works for you. I know in the Heim block, I basically only used USMLE RX and Boards and Beyond, and that was it. That was my highest. That was my highest scoring block. <laughs> um, like, yeah, high A or something in that block, never to be seen again, so maybe I should have stuck to that. (laughs) Afterwards, though, we get to GI, started introducing pathoma a lot more, and that's when I started to really learn the pathology and things, because the GI stuff is a lot more complicated than, like, your leukemias and blood cancers and things like that. Anemia, there's a table, you memorize it, and you're good. (laughs) Uh, And so I started using pathoma, We get to CPR and all the cardiology and the physics-based and renal stuff that I absolutely do not like. Uh, Physio popped into my life, and I started using that all the time. And now we're neurology, and nothing works. Um, And that's not actually true. I actually now use YouTube videos with Ninja Nerd. He teaches neurology the best um, of anybody. And, like, he teaches sometimes way too much. But if you watch his, like, hour-long videos uh, at, like, 1.5 speed – the things you remember are the important things, and the rest of the stuff that kind of leaves your mind, just don't worry about it. But the big gist of it is there, and that's a really good resource that hopefully works out on our test in two weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so these, these,
3: are, these
1: are all resources that can be found in our podcast for USMLE resources, so keep a lookout for that. And we've discussed Ninja Nerds, Physio, Pathoma, Boards & Beyond and other various resources as well. So check it out.
2: So um, for me, um, as far as I remember, because it's been ages, well, (laughs) just last year. (laughs) Uh, I think, you know, bad online, it just depends on your learning style, right? I'm very like audio um, and visual person. Uh, When I talk to other people, I learn better. So that was in a way why lectures were so useful to me because I was kind of like almost always asking questions. So that was my way of learning. Um, For fundamentals, I kind of like just relied on lectures the most and then sketchy of course with all the drugs and like the microbiology, it's excellent if you're like a visual person. Then, as I as we transition into systems, I relied more and more on voice and beyond. And <coughs> something that I regret that I didn't do back then is just start like the questions for voice and beyond, like a little bit earlier, just for practice. Um, that's something that I kind of like discover towards the end of my first year, and I just wish I had done that before. And then as we started going to more physiology, physio was the answer. It's such a good resource. Even though it's um, it, it looks boring, but it's very high yield. Uh, and then you can just watch it. I think after watching videos, if you are an audio learner, mm-hmm. uh, after watching videos, you're gonna like speed up to like 2.0 and understand everything, and you should be fine. So, you know, I I guess like that online, it just depends on your learning style. Stick with that. Um, Don't be afraid in medical school to change the way that you learn and the way that you acquire information from block to block and just transition. Just trust the process. So
1: all great answers. And I think it all points towards kind of explore what resources would work for you and Sometimes for different blocks, it'll be different resources, but, you know, you just use them judiciously and just kind of explore a little bit to see what works for you. And don't be afraid to kind of change your studying style from undergraduate or, you know, before medical school, because it's a lot more information than you've most likely ever had to ingest. So um, I did want to ask about this sort of saying that a lot of people uh, talk about like, oh, you you don't have time for hobbies in medical school. Have you found that to be true? Or do you think that's a myth? And if so, can you tell us about like, if you've been able to maintain your hobbies since starting medical school?
0: And uh, just for the sake of the conversation, I think it'd be great to think about it as M1 and M2s instead of M3 and M4s, and then we can talk about maybe how that would change in the later years.
4: Yeah. So I think fundamentals is a special time in your life. Um, There's just, it's a lot and it's, it's part of it's getting accustomed to medical school part of like the amount of information that you're getting. So I will say that it's, I know a lot of people say like you want to make sure that you have enough time to do all the hobbies. And I think that part of that is becoming realistic with what you have time for and what you want to make time for. So At least for me, I'm really big um, on like my self-care being the gym. I love working out and I was kind of used to doing that on a daily basis um, when I was working. So when I got to medical school and that kind of wasn't something I was able to fit in right away because it was just so much getting accustomed to. And it's like, you know, you're drinking out of a fire hose like that really is that analogy is the truth. Um, So I think as the weeks have gone by, it's become a little bit easier for me to prioritize and say, Okay, like I can take out, you know, an hour to go to the gym today because I did A, B and C or I'm not going to do C today and I'm going to do A and B. I think you start to realize that you're always going to feel behind and you're always going to have a lot to do. So you kind of have to force yourself a little bit to make time for the things that you want, because at first you're always going to give yourself the excuse that there's too much to do and that you don't have time. So it becomes more of like, no, you have to do this for yourself because it's going to help in the long run.
3: So I think it's probably different from the pre-clerkship years versus the M3 and M4 years. But with the pre-clerkship years, at least, it gets a lot easier the longer you're in it and the further you go. And it's not to say that the content and your schedule gets any easier. In fact, that all probably gets more difficult. But you yourself get better at the game that is med school. And you learn all the tricks you need to to get through it and to win and do all the things. I know for me, fundamentals was awful. I spent a lot of time studying Inefficiently and didn't like learn things. So I'd keep going through it again and again and again just to feel like I had somewhat of a grasp on it. Now I look at things, you know, just a standard two or three times and it's fine. And I know personally I don't study past 7 p.m. with the exception of like test prep or things like that. So every day after 7, I'm usually done. I'm put all the med school stuff away and go do whatever else I want to with my life for the three hours before I go to bed. And so there is time to do pretty much whatever you want within reason. You just have to figure out one, what's important to you and two, how to accommodate your new life and your new study schedule and things like that in med school with the things and hobbies that are important to you.
2: Yeah, as far as for me, um, I totally agree with both of you guys. I think it's just very important to identify what's important to you and what you want to make time for when um, for me it's always been my family whenever I go to them and I spend time with them it's kind of like a reset button and like allows me to go back in the books and continue studying so during fundamentals it was very stressful again like Veronica said just accommodating like just um transitioning from not being in medical school to being in medical school is, is a big shock uh, to your system at all levels. So I spent a lot of time studying, like Andrew said, a lot for me at least, like sometimes inefficiently. So <laughs> I was like, I remember like anatomy. I was spending eight hours studying anatomy like come on when the exam was only maybe like 20 percent of the grade or something like that why was I wasting all of my time and obsessing over anatomy but that's just an example of like things that could happen in medical school because again we we have that mentality at least at the beginning that everything is important and that every single detail is important but um during those times, I really de- didn't have that much time other than to spend with my family whenever i was um I was free during the weekends because I would study until like nine p m <laughs> but um but then you know as you go along, you start learning and like not only learning how to study more efficiently but also like knowing yourself and um in terms of like how to memorize information, how to recall information more um, in a more efficient manner. And after I got into the organ system, I was able to do other things like going back to work out, like starting training for like a half marathon and things like that. So it's it's not like once you get into medical school, your life is over. That's not true. It's just that it takes a little bit of time to adjust to just learning this amount of information. But the way that I see it is that your brain kind of like stretches, right? The more you learn. So the more you learn, like it becomes easier to start like learning even more complex information down the line. So that also helps. So it's, I think it's a good investment, at least the first few months to kind of like break your back studying, <laughs> like sitting down and just learning everything very well. So that later on, anything that comes along, it's just easier to, to understand and memorize it and, and recall it.
0: Yeah. And going back, like I definitely have gotten way more efficient throughout the years. I think it gets, I think it gets easier as you get along, um, which I'm sure is a relief for the M1, um, uh, <laughs> but. I remember like if I could go back to M1 and M2 year, I would be more intentional with my time to spend time with family or just my hobbies and interests. And the reason is, well, one, I think it's important just for yourself and your self care, preventing burnout. But also I noticed that as I incorporated more of my interests and hobbies and family and and took care of myself better, one I became more efficient with the time I was studying and two, my grades got better. And I thought the opposite would happen—that the more I take care of myself, the less time studying, the worse my grades would get—and I got better. And so, I like if I could go back, I'd tell myself like
1: it's actually important to do those things, and you will do better because of that. I just want to piggyback on the efficiency. Um, I th- realized how inefficient I was in undergrad when I came to medical school because inefficiency just was would not be tolerated because any price you paid for in, in, in efficiency would be with the time you have to do anything else. So the more efficient you were, the more time you have to do something you enjoy. The less efficient you are, the more likely you are to fail. Plus, you know, just spend the entire day here. Uh, just studying in the library or where, wherever. So during my first semester, I, I even my first year, I was spending eight or nine hours here in the... Um, library or our pbl rooms or just somewhere studying so-called studying i would often get up too much i'd walk around talk to people take a break play ping pong play a lot of ping pong i don't regret the ping pong but uh we even had a tournament so like it was great but i was not really that efficient like my mind was everywhere except studying and then I'd, i'd look at the screen maybe even read whatever but I don't I don't think all of that stuck but then there were like I would get these concentrated periods of time when I'd be studying like there's like that two two and a half hour and you really get it and that time would be the equivalent to the rest of the five and a half to six hours that I was here and then I realized instead of being here for seven eight hours I can just study for four, get that good four hours of studying in, and then go home, do whatever I want with the extra four hours. I don't have to study four hours in a row, but like I just need to pick out the times when I'm going to be super efficient, get it out so I can just be relaxed, be done with the day and go home. And I think that realization really helped me to kind of like just be efficient. And then the workload increased and then i had to increase the the amount of studying i had to do but i still had more time because i was studying more efficiently so efficiency is the name of the game you know find out how you retain information the best and then just get it done
0: yeah definitely efficiency seems to be like the word of the day here <laughs> um so uh, another question did you have something else you wanted
2: to add? oh i just i just wanted to echo what you said because you kind of, like, unlock a core memory in me. <laughs> so um, it's true. After I started, like, dedicating time to my hobbies, my grace did improve. So that is just facts.
0: That's so cool. That's, like, I think that's really important to hear. I wish I heard that, like, as an M1.
2: I mean, it
4: feels nice to hear that. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind.
0: Uh, so, I don't know if you had this experience as an M1, um, but I wanted to talk about online school versus in-person school. So, how did that work? I don't know how it worked for you guys. or For our class, we started in person uh, for the preclinical years, then COVID happened, then we finished up um, in the preclinical years online. Um, So I don't know if you, you've just been in person as an M1, right?
4: Yeah, we started in person. I didn't have any sort of online kind of experience, at least in medical school.
0: Okay, yeah. So let's, we could ask the um, M2s and M3s then, um, who've had both experiences, right? of Online and in person. So what do you think, yeah, sure. What do you think are the the differences between having that preclinical M1 and M2 year online versus in person?
2: Oh geez, I think I can only comment for online. Sadly, my class started medical school in the midst of COVID, and it was just very impactful in the way that it was like kind of like a more isolated experience. Medical school is already an isolated experience, and just the fact that we had we would ha- you know that we started um, through soon just made it more difficult. Um, but I think in a way, like our school they they try hard to kind of like just have those like outside kind of like reunion for wellness uh, for our class. But um, I don't I don't know. I feel like that was not enough. Just just because of like, the situation you know like you're studying you want to study with your classmates but then you don't really know your classmates because you have never met them in person you've always you only met them like online you don't really know how they are in person I remember the first time that we started like seeing each other in person it was like shocking like oh my god I didn't know you were that tall and <laughs> I didn't know I thought that you were taller it was like all kinds of surprises <laughs> is the, is the entire
1: is the entire conversation about how tall someone is or how <laughs> short they are
2: yes yes that's that's I mean when you need like a break from the books you talk about like height right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was just surprising it was just surprising like just seeing our classmates like in person and like their mannerisms you know it's all these little things that you don't get to experience because of the whole Sun interaction um, what I would say in terms of like learning and so forth, I, I don't I don't really know if it would have made a difference. I think it did save us a lot of time uh, because we didn't have to travel back and forth to class or like for the mandatories, et It was more comfy because we were, of course, like everyone else in the US and around the world, we were in our pajama pants with like nice tops, you know, for like the soon meetings. So that was nice it was more comfortable we had a little bit more time uh, but it was just tough in terms of like the isolation it was like a double layer isolation experience for us
3: yeah so my year was weird and i think the best reason for me going last in this discussion is just that we had both in person and online but then we kept switching which one they decided to do so we started off in person all having to wear masks And that was fine. You know, we're all there. And then the numbers in South Florida for COVID cases started increasing exponentially. And so then they said, oh, just kidding. I want you to all go back home and be virtual for the next three weeks. So then we did that. And then they kept extending the time we were virtual. And then they kept going back to in-person. And then a few weeks later, they would send us home again. (laughs) And we would be online for the week because of all these numbers and all the tracking they were doing. And so if I had to compare the two, I definitely preferred the in-person stuff just in terms of engagement and things like that. But in terms of efficiency, definitely being at home all day, you know, it was a lot easier to get all your studying done in the morning, and then you can chill and do whatever you want the rest of the day. I got so bored, though, in those few weeks I was at home, I couldn't imagine doing The whole pre clerkship time online um especially having met you know all my peers in the class and then coming back and it was weird too because the m1s were on campus and then the m2s now the m3s at the time came for the first time and they didn't know what the campus looked like and so you had the first year students giving tours to the second year students to try to show them where things were
2: so much fun
3: and that's weird like that just doesn't that shouldn't happen but nonetheless it did so
4: yeah i think at least i have a very unique circumstance um in the sense i'm one of the few people uh, that commutes i live in miami so i do have to commute every day it's about a 50 minute drive for me I will say in sense of efficiency not the best an hour drive to and then an hour drive back as much as you try to use it in terms of listening to podcasts shout out to dr Goljan, he's the best um, but it's definitely it does take time away from your study day i will say the pro of course it is nice to engage with your peers to meet you know people in your class and to kind of have that connection with people But I will say the only drawback is just, of course, you you do have to be here every single day. There's not a day that we're not on campus, at least for the block that we're in right now. So it is a lot of commuting for me.
0: Yeah, and like going back to our uh, first two years when we started in person and then switched to online, it was like the opposite of what you were saying where you were like, oh, I knew, or you like didn't know anybody and then you came here and then it was just like weird. For us, it was like, we had this whole thing established. We figured out, you know, what to do. And, or at least I felt like, oh, I'm starting to figure out things. I have friends here. I have like my study spots and then now I have to go home and like do it all by myself. And it was like a weird isolating thing when before I had all my classmates that I knew and then I wouldn't see them for like months and then we'd switch like groups and I would log in and I'd be like, oh, I forgot you like existed cause I hadn't seen you in like months. But like, I remember hanging out with you and all this stuff. And for me, it was really, like, difficult to to do that transition. But I know some of our classmates, just to kind of say the other side, love doing the online because it went from – you know, like the inefficiencies like driving here or, you know, not getting to see your family all the time to now you can be at home. You can study at your own pace. You just log on to zoom for like two hours and then do anything else you, anything else you want for the rest of the day. That wasn't my experience. I found it isolating and difficult, but I want to just mention that other people felt it was beneficial.
1: So that's actually my case. So I think that we had the best of both worlds because we had our first year in person. So we made all the friends. We came to campus, we hung out in the lounge, we had our nice little ping pong tournament. We we did all the fun stuff that we really wanted to do. We got to meet all of our classmates. We became, like, I became friends with a lot of my wow, classmates. Crying.
2: You're just making fun of me, huh?
1: <laughs> 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 but, uh, well, I'm sorry you had to go through that isolating experience, I really am, but, to be very honest, I'm I'm glad it was you, not not us. But, <laughs> 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 but uh, seriously though, I, it 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 was great because we got to know everyone and we became friends. I became friends with Nick. Um, we had our old, whole crew, so. After that, when it became online, we knew everyone. So if I wanted to reach out to someone, it's like I had most people's phone numbers. I had everyone, like all of my friends, like contact information. We studied together. We did so much stuff together. Like I I remember studying with Nick for step one and even before that, like we would study together or like call each other for like, oh, did you study for this or that? Which I feel like would be very tough if we started medical school online and then went into in-person in second year. And I think the best part of it was that second year is just a lot more information and it just helped so much that it was online and I could kind of stay at home. My best friends are there, my family's there. I I lived in Orlando and I was just living it up. I had I had so much fun in medical school. I did not want to leave home when I attended medical school and you know, I for my second year so like for a year and a half like for an entire year I was at home and I enjoyed every day. It's just like the food is great, my friends could come over. You know, and so I think I didn't have the isolating experience only because I actually went home versus Nick stayed here where our medical school is. Um, and you know, his fiance works, so she would be gone versus you know, I'm home with friends and family. And I, you,
0: you know what else is interesting is we knew how tall our classmates were because
2: we started <laughs> in person. <laughs> and just in, in defense of my classmates because I, I don't you know at least that was my experience, but we did have a whatsapp group and you know we all kind of like try to help each other through that group in in a way. and I'm sure there were people that kind of like formed their own groups and then like they were hanging out and whatnot. Um, maybe because of the nature too of my personality, I'm a little bit more. Yeah, like basketball and like pickleball. So it, it's, it, it wasn't like completely gloomy and isolated. But in a way, it was still isolated just because that first uh, meeting, like face to face with your classmates, it's just so important. Like your first day of medical school, these are the people you're going to be with. For the next, at least the next two years, because like doing uh, clinicals, it gets a little bit dispersed, but at least for the first two years of medical school. So, of course, it's important to meet them in person and know how tall they are. because.
1: You want to pick them on your basketball team, you know, you need to know, like, can they defend Against them. I don't know what your class has with pickleball. You guys go hard. I I, I see the group chat all the time and it's like everyone's ready to play pickleball like every other day. And it's it's awesome. Like we played basketball quite
0: a bit. We played basketball every Friday. I think we had 30 people in the rotation and we're a class of 50. So like. It was a lot of people playing basketball, and we also played a lot of ping pong like we, we played, had a whole tournament with we, like with a trophy and everything like there were so many people playing ping pong
1: i think the the school paid for the trophies I right think so. the, the every and the <laughs> gift, card, and yeah, like a gift a, card yeah everything so but yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see that you guys are still yeah. doing stuff, even though you were isolated, you know.
0: Um, so I wanted to, did anybody else have a comment?
4: Yeah, I just had to say apart from the height and knowing (laughs) your, your (laughs) classmates height, that's important, um, physical characteristics to know, but I think honestly, I don't know how I would have done it had it been virtual just because I think half the battle of medical school is the fact, like knowing that you're not alone in what you're going through and fundamentals, especially it's like, it is a tough time. And no matter even the person that feels like the most comfortable with the material is going to have a tough time. So having a good support system that actually understands what you're going through, because, you know, obviously family and like your loved ones is important, but having people who understand what you're going through and can like cry with you and understand, like, I understand why you're crying is a big thing. I am very glad that I have met the people that I've met and I've made very close friends that they will be. (laughs) In my bridal party, like that is how important this time is that you you meet people that you're really close with and that you click with, and it just makes I feel like the medical experience a little bit more doable.
1: I I think you unlocked a core memory which I had suppressed until now. The <laughs> mental breakdowns in fundamentals, Nick. Uh, I think yeah. th- I think Nick's starting to have flashbacks too, and I think almost yes. every person. <laughs> Me too. Sorry. I, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I just want you to know I never had a migraine in my life. I had three in fundamentals. Yes. Like, I, I didn't know what a migraine was. Like, people described it to me, and I was like, oh, like, that doesn't really make sense. And then I was like, oh, my gosh.
1: I agree, and I, I was having daily headaches. Like, almost every day at the end of studying, I, I, I would have headaches, and I was already kind of prone to headaches but like you know maybe one once a couple times a month but you know during after starting medical school especially the first semester almost every day if not every other day so but i remember the fact that everyone almost had a mental breakdown during fundamentals i know several people who cried in front of me um and it just really helped to see someone else break down <laughs> that's as savage as that sounds it 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 does help the fact that you know you're not alone it's happening to everyone it's it's a very tough time and you're like adjusting to a lot of things all at once but knowing the fact that other people are, are just as miserable as you are is very comforting comforting in person
3: Yeah, and even if it's not in fundamentals, it really doesn't matter who you are or how much background you have. At some point in your pre-clerkship career, you're going to hit this organ system or this topic that just does not work for you. And no matter how hard you try, it is not clicking. And you'll hit that wall and you will have your breakdown and your little Britney moment. But (laughs) (laughs) – (laughs) You know, the imposter syndrome sets in, and you need a drastic change in your life. I like to rearrange my furniture when I'm stressed, and I think my house layout changed about four times during my first year of med school, which, you know, it's really hard to do when you live in a small apartment. There's only so many options. But regardless, it's hard. And seeing other people go through that same experience and being able to look at them and be like... How are you okay right now? And what are you doing? Please help. And then they can, you know, we can reciprocate that when it's their turn to have their mental breakdown because it will happen to everyone. Um,
2: and you know, as far as my class doing fundamentals, the f- my first my first friends, like I met them when we were studying for finals. I mean, not finals, but like when we were studying for the exams. So it was here in the PBO rooms everyone in hoodies and that's kind of like how we first met uh so just mind you just a few weeks already into the curriculum and it's it's just so important to that to have those people for when you have those very like tough uh moments you know just to validate your experience and for you to understand that you're not alone and that if you're going through a breakdown for whatever it is even if if it seem like minuscule to you or like pretty small um you know that it's it it's nothing to be ashamed of and that other medical students also go through that and because you're going through it doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be here and that you don't belong here when like the whole imposter syndrome might kick in so it's good to have those friends to validate your experience
0: Yeah, I think we can all agree, like, having other people in real life there with you is very helpful. Um, And then kind of going off of that, I remember our class was very teamwork-oriented. Like, we were super close. We were all, like, we're all in this together. We shared study guides. We shared everything. And I don't know if this is true. I think it's because we were pass-fail, and there's not a ranking for us. So it, it was like we're not like, we weren't worried, like, if I help this other person, like, that'll make me worse. Um, I'm just curious, you know, to you guys, thinking back to your M1 year, or even M2, um, how much did teamwork help you guys? Was your class working really well together? And how did that all go?
4: Yeah, I feel like so far it's been really nice to see how much of a role teamwork has played in medical school because I did hear so many people say that you know medical school is like really team oriented like people are not you know for the most part like trying to in any way deter you from doing good um but it's always kind of in the back of my head I was like you know but it's such a competitive like field and Although I'm not like that, I can't speak for everybody, so maybe people won't be as engaging and try to be as, you know, teamwork. But no, it's been a lot like that. I feel like even the people that 100% grasp the material and are in no necessary way benefiting from helping you really, like they're just want to help you because they know you're struggling and they will go through the material with you. Um, It's been really helpful to have like people that actually want to help you and are like looking for you to do well and succeed.
3: Yeah, in terms of content and learning, you know, our class shares everything. We have folders and folders upon folders of, you know, every study guide for every single test, even TBL study guide, somebody writes up every single week and posts in a drive so somebody can just take, you know, the 30 pages of reading and read it in one page five minutes before the, you know, quiz. And it's great because sometimes you need that and sometimes, you know, you you can't study as much as you would want or there's different resources that people use and things like that and they're all shared you know within Reason and that's been really really helpful What I have noticed is a little bit of outside of the education aspect of things with regards to extracurriculars. Because our school has passed fail and because step one is now passed fail, extracurriculars have become a little more competitive and people are sneaky about it. So they'll have, they'll do things and they'll go to like events or they'll be like have elections for things, but they'll not tell anybody. (laughs) So they can kind of keep the extracurriculars to themselves. And so it's really hard it's become really hard to break in to extracurricular activities. But once you're in, you're good. But getting there, especially your first year, is really difficult. <laughs> uh, and part of that, too, I also think is because with my class, we were all applying during COVID. And COVID applications were the most insane round of applications ever. The number of people that applied like, doubled. It was the highest ever. And the competition was so difficult and so hard to get into med school in general that people got here and they're like okay now i gotta actually fight even harder (laughs) and then died down a little bit because you know it once you realize everybody's on the same playing field as you your competition level kind of drops a little bit but you know i definitely say there's still some competitiveness within medical school even in a pass fail curriculum Mm
4: Yeah, I will say I can't speak much to the extracurriculars just because we're kind of like in fundamentals prison right now and we're not really allowed to have any extracurriculars. But I will say something I actually forgot to mention, too, is it's not really just like in between classes, at least like it's kind of crazy to me. We have so much material that's been shared from the class before us for no reason other than to help us like full on like Excel sheets just here. Here's everything that I used and like so detailed. And to this day, I'm still in shock, like you're not getting paid for this like how am i getting this for free like this is just amazing and the fact that you spent that much time just to help somebody else out for no other reason than just to do it it's kind of shocking to me so that's something else i forgot to mention
0: that's pretty amazing because like we're part of the second class here so we did get some i think we got some stuff from the class above us but i feel like because you guys have more people more classes ahead of you, it's just kind of like stacked and stacked from over the years and gotten passed down. So I, I think that's really fascinating that it's like establishing here.
2: Yeah, um, for our class, the we are the third class, and I, I think it was like one of the people in the second or first class that they created a folder just for us with all of this like beautiful information and resources and here where you go for this here where you go for that and it was just super helpful and then after that our class created our own folders where we would put like um the learning objectives the so there was this girl in this class shout out to you uh she was amazing she was really good with the books (laughs) 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 meaning she would really read them uh she would um, She would fill out all of the learning objectives and then just disperse it to the class through or WhatsApp. And that would really, really help a lot. Another girl, again, shout out to you. She used to do this learning objectives for anatomy. Beautiful, you know, beautiful sheets that as long as you study from those sheets, you should be, you were good for the exam. So there was a lot of like sharing resources and a lot of like just helping each other out. And I think, like you know, like you guys have said, it's been possible because of the pass fail curriculum. Like, there is no way. I mean, medical students are competitive. That's just in the nature, you know. And but when you do make the curriculum pass fail, uh, it um, it kind of like attenuates that competitiveness a little bit, and it helps people to kind of like work in a collo- collaborative. Am I saying a word correctly? Uh, <laughs> collaborative. <laughs> manner. So um so yeah like at least for my class and still uh till now with um with just the the clin the clinicals like we're still helping each other so like oh you're going to this site let me tell you all about it oh let me know before you go to the um clinical site for me um, to tell you everything about like ex-resident, ex-doctor, ex-rounding you know, and how to start your day, etc. So like our class, they're very hands-on when it comes to like helping us into having a good start.
1: Um, I just kind of wanted to add to that by saying, so I have friends at other medical students, like other medical schools, such as UF. So I have two friends over there. And so everyone's kind of told me what their experience with their medical school is. And when I tell them how collaborative our classes are, or like how, like how much we share about the things, you know, like study guides, for example. So if you read 30 pages and, you know, for this quiz and you made a study guide for yourself, it would be totally okay to not share that because, you know, they didn't study for those 30 pages. Why should they do well on this quiz? you know, when I had to sort through all this information to really write down the key information. But, you know, I think we had it also had a study guide for almost every single TBL that we had to go to and someone would post it. Not everyone would post it. And again, it's not a bad thing if you don't because you work really hard for it and you, you want other people to work hard for it if they want that grade. But the fact that, you know, helping other students did not really hurt you, I think... Really helped those that really wanted to actually help other people To not be cumbered by the fact that you know, you're not helping someone become better than you You're just helping them become good now how great they are that doesn't matter like they can be getting hundreds And it does not impact you at all It's all that matters is how much you're learning and how much like, you know And you hope the rest of your class is learning as much as you are if not more and you just want to like elevate everyone to the next level but individually helping someone does not hurt you and maybe if you help other people they'll help you in return not maybe not this tbl but like for future things and i think it's just the whole career the way that our school's been set up has really set us up to be able to help other students and i think that's a great thing
3: yeah we are all here pretty much for one reason and that's just to become good doctors right and so sharing all this information within the class and between classes, it really does help. And I do want to speak really quick just again on the sharing you know, from down from class to class to class. As the second year class, we actually have some documents and things made from the very first class. you know, And, and then the, the current M4s now and the M3s now, they all gave us stuff. And we sorted through all of that and made our own little folder and gave the M1s a lot of things. And so the stuff we share, it gets better with each generation. Uh, Because, you know, you figure out what was actually helpful and what was missing, and you fix it and give it to the next ones. And so if we keep that up, I think by the time, you know, we get through (laughs) eight to ten generations, you won't even need to go to school. You'll just have it (laughs) on a Google Drive. You'll have everything there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, and I think that also, like, I think it helps to only have 50 in a class. Uh, I can imagine if you have like 200 or something or more like some medical schools do that, it might um, maybe hinder that because you're not as like close. I I felt like the small class really helped with that too. In addition to like being pass fail. Um, So to kind of, you know, close up on the preclinical years, if you could go back to an M1 and tell them like we have here, what advice would you like to give them or even your M1 self?
3: So, what I didn't know as an M1 that I know now as an M2 is that it really is okay to not know everything. You're allowed to not have a great test score and it does not define you at all. I know personally, I'm really bad at taking multiple choice tests, but when it comes to an essay or even the practice of medicine, you know, clinical things, I can knock those out of the park, no problem. But you give me a multiple choice question, and for some reason, everything I know goes out of my mind, and it's weird. And it doesn't happen all the time, you know, and it definitely has to get better because step one and the rest of our steps here on out are all those questions. But those things and those grades don't define you as a student. And you know, fortunately, as because we are pass-fail, we do have that luxury, and I know not every medical school does. But it, you gotta give yourself grace sometimes, you know, there's some days will be better than others and some tests will be better than others. And it's okay. You move on, you improve and learn from your mistakes and you'll be fine by the end of it. You'll be happy. <laughs> and you'll be healthy and you'll be getting good grades when you're all, when it's all said and done.
4: Yeah, I think what Andrew just said is kind of what I try to tell myself every morning when I wake up. <laughs> um, it's honestly the idea that everybody truly has something that they're good at. And you kind of have to understand that even though test taking may not be your thing, it's definitely not my thing. It's never been my thing. Um, multiple choice tests, like Andrew said, is just I'm an overthinker and it's just not for me. Um, but again, when I get into a clinical setting or, you know, there's just other things that I'm... I'm better at and that I can choose to be just fine being okay with that like it just comes down to you understanding that you're not going to be good at everything and while there's people in your class that are phenomenal test takers they struggle with things and everybody has something that they struggle with so I think it's just the constant reminder that I kind of need to tell myself that every day because it can be very easy to compare yourself to classmates or just compare yourself to just the system in general kind of the expectations that you're kind of meant to follow so definitely don't compare yourself i think it's the thief of joy for sure and just understanding that there's things that you're going to be able to shine doing
2: yes i agree with both of you guys um besides that i think what i would tell my little m1 Uh, I wasn't that small. That was like two years ago. (laughs) 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 But I would say my M1 me is um, to not really obsess over all of the details and to look at the bigger picture and kind of like just really um, just try to understand like processes just because that's going to help you to. Because you're you're building the foundation for everything else. So if you look at it as bigger picture and understanding the processes, and everything else becomes a little bit better. So that will be my advice.
1: I would just tell my M one self to love your beautiful, beautiful self. You know. But no, I'm d- no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> I, I, I. In all honesty, though. <laughs> I would tell myself that one, study efficiently. If I was studying more than three to four hours in on a weekday, that was too much that I was studying inefficiently. So I'd first tell myself that, that that should be your goal to try try to keep it under four hours. Well, um, not, and that's excluding assignments and stuff. That's just pure studying, Um, max four hours, if I'm efficient. And I would also tell myself time management it will be key. Really work on it. Don't take it for granted because there's so many things coming at you from all over. And I had some trouble with it, so probably tell my M one self like, "Hey, you don't want to get sent us <laughs> back." <laughs> so it's serious. Like get it together. So that that's that would that would be my advice.
0: And that's awesome. Um, and I did want to ask one more question before we move to the uh, clinical years. So. As an M3 now, who's taken step one, right? And M4s who've taken step one um, with a score. What would you want to say to anybody for step one advice? And maybe even for them starting M1 year.
2: Okay. I When I took my step, it was pass-fail. And I guess my, my advice is study over the summer. Even if it's just a little bit, just one hour just to refresh your memory. And also during Christmas, just one hour, not too much, you know, um, us medical students, we tend to be, we tend to be a little bit like extremists. We think it's like everything is either black or white, like, At least, like, for me, I think, like, oh, if I'm going to study, it's going to be six hours every day. It doesn't have to be like that because, you know, just just a little bit just to refresh your memory, not, like, sitting down and, like, writing everything down. Um, The reason why I'm saying that, even though you guys are looking at me like weird, it's because when it came to, like, my dedicated period to study for Step 1, I didn't do any of that. I traveled during my summer. I traveled during my Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of like what I did I didn't really like open um the books too much but when it came time to really like sit down and study for step one it was really hard because there was there was a lot more things that I kind of like forgot than what I I overestimated myself basically point blank and I think that has kind of like happened to a lot of people who took or are taking step one, pass, fail, kind of like overestimated themselves, like, oh, I know, I know this much, I did so good on this block, like, I know, I know I'm gonna remember more and this and that. But when it comes time to actually sit down and study for this monster of an exam, um, you realize how in you, you are adequately prepared for it, but you didn't do any maintenance to be able to sit down and actually like go smoothly through your learning process during your dedicated period. So point blank I did have a mental breakdown during my step 1 dedicated period. <laughs> 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 just one, just like a major one. That's pretty good. Um yeah. thank yeah. you. Are, thank you guys. Thank numbers. you. <laughs> Thank you. No, it was it was so bad. My family had to like come and like give me some good old advice. You know, thank goodness they were there. My advisor was strongly there. Like, I cried, you guys, um, cried a lot. You know, took the whole day off. Had to push my exam a little bit. <laughs> but I think it was because of that. I didn't. I didn't really like. Felt like because step one, you've know your material. You've been studying for like a whole one year and a half, hardcore. You know, for all of your blocks, and then it comes um, test taking time, and it's it becomes like a mental battle that you need to go to pass through. So um, when I had that that mental breakdown, I just didn't think it was possible for me to pass that exam. And it was like, it's impossible, I'm not gonna pass it, I'm gonna fail. So it was like installed in my mind, even though like the scores that I was getting, they were saying otherwise in a way. And so I had to kind of like get past that and build some self-confidence. And that's when my advisor step in, when my family step in, when my friends, again, my medical school friends also step in who were going through the same thing Um, so it's just very important so just like you know just study hard during your preclinical years the best that you can with mental health and like you know a little bit of balance Uh, but understand your processes do a little bit of maintenance over the summer maybe Christmas like it doesn't have to be too much it doesn't have to be six hours every day it can just be one hour like on the weekends just to refresh a little bit of your weak points and then as time comes to study for step one build a schedule but be flexible to that schedule as well like my schedule I had to rebuild it like three or four times as I was going through it just because of the situation <laughs> and as you go learning like oh my god I was a little bit weaker on like uh, respiratory than what I thought, which I was, and renal, which I was, <laughs> so, um, you know, so just being realistic with yourself, uh, stick close to your support systems, I did pass my step one, thank goodness, I wouldn't be doing my clinicals <laughs> right now, <laughs> but, oh my God, it was just a, such a stressful period, like, a lot of people say, oh, because step one is past fail, it's not as stressful. It's even more stressful right now, especially because it gives you like, oh, 80% chance of passing, which my class didn't really have to deal with that because we took the exam before the MBME. Okay, so just for background, The MBME practice exams for step one before they used to give you a grade, and that was kind of like your chances of, like, uh, landing on that grade. And right now they change it, I think, by the end of February this year to a percentage of, like, a probability of how how likely you are to pass the exam if you Mm -hmm. sit down, like, right now. So... If you get like a 70% probability that you can pass step one, if you sit right now, or like an 80%, 90%, I honestly do not know how people are um, dealing or managing that type of stress because that's just like another monster when it just gives you likelihood versus like you see a score that you can more or less like kind of like land on it. But yeah, that was my experience with step one. I don't know how for both of you guys, since you guys had a like score, I think, just another layer of of stress
1: I I don't know about another layer maybe add like 10 more (laughs) Uh, because so for me my Christmas break was I considered my Christmas break my dedicated as well I incorporated that into my dedicated I didn't take a I took one day off after my final and then I was like okay and then I'm calling it a day and then I didn't take a day off for the next 10, 11 weeks or however many weeks I studied because I wanted to go into neurosurgery and to, if you don't get a certain amount of like certain amount, you can't go into the field you want to. So for me, I needed to work as hard as humanly possible because if I, if you don't get above a certain threshold, then you're automatically cut off essentially. Like you, unless you're like an amazing researcher and everyone, uh, you know, you, or you're like the PD son somewhere, maybe that'll (laughs) help. But even then, so you need to do really well on step one. So the number matters a lot. Uh, Yes, exactly. I mean, now step two number matters a lot. But so for step one, it's like so we had it scored. I needed to do well. It wasn't about passing for most of our classmates. They just wanted to get the highest possible number that they could. And for that, uh, I definitely remember there were the the last three weeks. I, you know, like you work hard, you work hard and you work hard. And then the score just plateaus and then it doesn't go up. And you're like, I'm working hard. What have I done the past four weeks? Well, apparently, according to the score, nothing because it's not increasing. You work harder and then you break down then you recover and then you work harder and you break down and then you work harder and then you break down and at one point you're done and that's when you take the test it's like when you can't go more you still go and then you continue doing that until you're like start deteriorating like you can't build anymore you're like you've been broken down enough and then you take it that's sad. It's very sad. But that was my experience. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was my, that was my experience. I was, I, I was very in very high spirits at the beginning. And then there was a point where I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm learning so much. I'm learning er- like there were so many aha moments in my step one studying. It was amazing. I really like rekindled that learning spirit. It was great. I enjoyed it so much like for a couple days and I, I had fun. Like for a few weeks, and then it just like, and then it's just it as Darius said, it is a mental battle, and I think the fact that we had a number and that you could always get a higher number, you know, in, instead of just a pass, meant that you can't stop working hard because like the harder you work, the higher you'll do, the, the better you'll do. So it's not like oh I can work harder and I'm still gonna just pass. No, it's like if you work harder. You, you know, you maybe maybe have a shot at what you want to do. Versus, you may be limited in terms of your options. Like, if you want, choose to decide to do something else, great. But if you actually want to go into a competitive field later on, you should not be limited by your step one numbers. So that's why I wanted to work as hard as I did.
0: And I think it's it's interesting because medical students will find a reason to stress, like no matter what. Um, but with that in mind, I think. For our class, it was definitely a small minority that were concerned about passing at all. It was a large majority that would have passed no problem. And we were all concerned about our score. And now it's interesting that you're saying like people are stressed about passing because it was like, that was like not a lot of people for us. And it's not that we're like smarter or better or anything. I think it was the bar Was just higher. It was like you need to get a high enough score if you want a chance at doing the things you wanted to do. And now, you know, it kind of helped us, I think, to like push farther. Like, okay, we're passing, that's great, but like, that's not even close to good enough right now for certain people. Like, you were interested in neurosurgery, you said, like, you can't just pass, like, that you're not gonna get into neurosurgery. So, if you want like the rest of your career, the rest of your life, is depending on that number, like you're going to push a little bit farther and you're not going to be concerned about passing at all. Um, There definitely are people who struggled and, you know, I also want to mention on on the other hand, it's not easy to pass. So don't, don't even think about like, don't even think about like,
2: (laughs) oh, well now it's easy. I was going to say that because, you know, it's going to clarify there. Yeah, for sure. Like, (laughs) it's
0: also like, it's just a hard test to pass. So like, I just think having that number like pushed us a little farther which is just interesting
2: yeah definitely like having a number it it's it's a knife of double sore if if you guys use that double double edge sore (laughs) (laughs) but having a number yes it can help you to push yourself but then when it's pass fail um i know some people in my class that took this exam and they pass it with like less time during their dedicated but I do not know how they were studying, you know, before coming into their dedicated period. I only know how I was studying what I was doing and not doing um, before entering my dedicated. Um, in the exam, per se, it's, it's not, it is a monster. It's called a monster for a reason. It's the first exam, seven hour plus, that you'll have are uh, the first of three um so it, it not only takes like mental stamina but it also takes physical stamina and having some sort of like solid conference confidence within yourself because even i think when when the exam would score people were having were shooting like very beautiful scores in their practice exam and then they sat for step one and they did not even pass and all that is gets compounded to their ability to trust themselves when picking each answer and when moving forward uh, during the exam, during the exam day.
1: Um, I just want to add something, and again, this is throwing shots at Daricell's class as a whole, uh, not anyone in particular, but I, on Snapchat, I de- did see a lot more people going to the beach during dedicated <laughs> um, compared to That's our strong. year, so <laughs> just just <laughs> to wanted to add something, but I will say to any incoming students, Study hard for your step one because that correlates really well with how you do on step two. If you don't study for step one, you're not going to have time to really get that material down during clinical because Darisol can tell you there's not that much time to study, Like, it, especially if you have to study old stuff. You should know your old stuff that you, can, you just have to refresh and then you have to learn all this new material facts right so you have a you have more material to learn and less time to learn it because now you're in the hospital so you're managing everything right in the dungeons so (laughs) you you have to manage a lot more things and if you have to add learning relearning step one stuff or not having learned it properly the first time you're not going to be able to build on a weak foundation so now, I kind of want to hear what our M one and M two have to think about the discussion that we just had.
2: I hope I didn't scare you guys out.
4: No, I honestly, I just think that the different perspectives are really interesting to see because my mentality was kind of always like i I felt for the people that definitely need, had a score because, like you guys said, it was more than just, like the passing was, it was part of the game. You had to pass obviously to be able to get the score you needed, so that was stress upon itself. But it was obviously the fact that there is a number tied to your application and that number is going to define what you're gonna do for the rest of your life. So it's kind of like a stressful factor that it's, I'm doing well enough to pass this exam, but that is not anywhere near where I need to be. Um, So that's stressful. That does not help the process. Um, But I think what's also interesting is knowing that when you come into it knowing that passing is the monster it becomes an an even bigger monster i think because i think part of it is the prep that you put into it and also to just kind of i just i really do think when you go into something when you know what the highest expectation is it dictates how you feel about it so it can be just as scary for somebody that's just passing failing versus somebody that needed a score it just really depends on what you assign that high expectation to be and how scary you make it so i think both struggles are definitely valid and i mean i i'm somebody that struggles to pass most things so passing to me is like you did amazing like you deserve a pat on the back so i think that for me passing is definitely going to be a struggle within itself one of itself within of itself you can't i can't even speak english it is my second language so that's an excuse i'm gonna give (laughs)
0: Hey, you speak more languages than me, so that's pretty good. Um, no, yeah, and I I just want to reiterate, like I totally agree. Passing is amazing, like, and it's incredibly stressful just to pass. Um my point was just I think it I think it's different to experience a score, that's all. But I don't wanna downplay anybody who passes step one. That is a feat in and of itself, and I'm sure that anybody who's taking a pass fail is struggling and,
3: and I, I I just want you to know you could do it and you'll get through it. So as an M1, I don't think I would have really cared about the discussion at all, but as an M2 who submitted his certification to take step 2 one literally this morning, <laughs> I'm terrified now. My study schedule has been made for the summer. I'm, you know, I'm s- kind of sneaking in some pre-study studying whenever I can, but like, you know, you there's not really time for that, but I'll try. Uh but hearing that it's, you know, mental breakdowns upon mental breakdowns, it's not fun. I was looking forward to stuff because I was like, I'm going to relearn everything. It's going to be fun. I'm going to be like, OK, I'm going to be a great doctor ready for clerkships. I don't ha- want to break down and be sad and depressed for <laughs> a med a school. Week. Apparently does get worse. <laughs> I th-
4: so <laughs>
3: I thought I was over that, you know, but uh, so that'll be interesting. I'm glad I can actually prepare for that a little more now, uh, which is nice.
2: And just, you know, I I think if you go with the right attitude and like just being realistic, I don't think a mental breakdown is necessarily (laughs) part of the experience, you know, because I'm sure there were people out there who just breezed through it, you know, or like... I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe like there are people out there who just like, meaning my experience doesn't have to be your experience necessarily, <laughs> or like the experience of maybe like 80% of my class doesn't have to be your experience. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's just about being um, realistic with yourself, with how much you know, and, and you know, and just putting the work, and like knowing that if you have to change your test date, it's okay, it's fine. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. That doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be in medical school. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good doctor. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be the doctor that you want to be one day, you know? That just means that you have enough uh, self-reflection to actually understand, like, hey, I need a little bit more time to make this happen for me. So it's it's a very one-to-one battle. Like I the way that I see like step one prep is a battle with yourself. It's like the person that you see in the mirror, that's the one that you're battling to become better than the day before, you know?
3: Absolutely. That's great advice. Uh, and I'll definitely be trying to remember that as I progress through. I, I don't f- foresee me breezing through, you know, step one studying by any means. And I just kind of wanted to add a little bit to the pass fail thing. You know, as someone who's always knew it was going to be pass-fail for me. It wasn't, like, a surprise. I, I applied for med school knowing that that was going to be a thing. I'm still looking at the test as, like, I need to do the best I can, really just for, you know, clerkships, right? Like, you want to know this stuff, so you when you get on the floors and somebody asks you something, you don't just stand there staring at them, and I don't know isn't your answer for everything. Uh, so I'm definitely trying to avoid that. But... I also heard that they increased the bar of what it takes to pass. And it's only going to go up each year from there. And so it's a lot harder to pass. And now they scale it too. So when you get your score reports back and you get the, that you pass it, at least in the practice ones, you get like this bell curve and you get a line and you're usually in the lower half of the line when you're first starting. So you're well below average, but you still passed but you're like well below average. And so that also kind of hurts a little bit. And so there's the motivation to do better too. And I also think that if I don't, not many people do this, but if they request for your testing records, they do have access to that bell curve. And so they can see where you rank in the pass fail, but you know, that's all still going to change as we progress through this.
4: Yeah, I think something I just wanted to add too. I feel like the people, the pre-meds listening to this, like the somebody coming fresh off, well, not that fresh. I mean, it's been a bit, I did have a gap year, but, but, MCAT's kind of like the only thing you know and the only thing that you're kind of thinking um when you're applying to medical school and of course there's that number that's really it feels like the end of the world because you've studied so much and you're trying to you know increase your score you're trying to get into med school which is like a beast within of itself I feel like more than half the battle's getting in um so I think kind of comparing it to that when you're taking it you have this feeling that it's like you see people scoring so much better than you or you kind of feel like you know you're stuck in this like range and you're like this is nowhere near where i want to go like if you have a dream school and you're shooting for that and you're seeing that you're nowhere near that um i think it kind of compares in the sense of that to step it's understanding that like everybody has like an individual perspective not everybody's the same like i had mentioned earlier like your strengths are so different so what somebody might seem like passing it's like that is the craziest thing and it's so hard to do I know plenty of people that are like no like I can take a test like with flying colors most of the time and they don't have to put in as much work so I will say like my experience of course is only one person's experience and I'm sure if somebody else was sitting in this chair they'd have very different things to say so I think it's just kind of knowing yourself like what was said earlier and knowing what you're capable of and what you need to do to do better it's going to be more work than somebody or it might be less work than somebody. It's just, it's very individualistic.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, Thank you so much for sharing. Um, So I do want to move on to the clerkship years of medical school. So for anybody who doesn't know, generally in medical school, you go through, you know, M1, M2, you take step one at the end of M2, and then you're in the clerkships where you do, um, your, your clerkships would be like internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, and you'll take a shelf exam at the end of those clerkships. And then in your fourth year, you do more like electives, away rotations, all that stuff. Um, so uh, at, from the M3, what do you think was different about the preclinical years and the clinical years? And what do you think were like the big struggles?
2: Yes, I think The biggest one, at least for me, has been the lack of structure in the clinical years. It's just been so shocking, um, especially because I was somebody that used to go to lecture and I had like this whole routine built up on how I was going to learn the material and how many passes I I was going to do and then the questions that I was going to do, etc. But um, once coming into the clerkships, so for example, I started with pediatrics and it was just so much, like pediatrics is like a mini I am or internal medicine situation, but with little kids. So it was just so much, I didn't really know where to start studying, what resources to use, even though I spoke with my classmates, uh, with my upper classmates, they didn't seem, it didn't seem to be that much like structure or like linear path to actually um, come and like understand and learn for this specific clerkship. So I think that was like the biggest challenge for me, just the lack of structure that there is in third year. And it really pains me, especially because I need that structure to be able to learn better and efficiently. So even till now, like uh, what we do is that we use UWorld a lot. Um, and even like getting accustomed to the way that the questions are asked in your world take its time. So it took me a while to kind of like get used to those questions and the way to answer those questions and to understand what they were asking me. Because sometimes I would read the questions and I would just stay there, like, what is this even English? What are you asking me? And, um, you know, just going back, just really knowing, like, your mechanisms and, like, your processes and, like, the bigger picture really helps you to continue to build on that foundation once you start your clerkships. So, um, like I said, just, you know, just um, the lack of structure has been just difficult. How about for you guys when you guys um, started uh, third year?
1: So, I agree with the whole lack of structure. It's uh, it's like an improv show. You kind of see what's happening and react rather than being able to plan anything. And once you're adjusted in in one month, you change the rotation and now you have new people that you're working with in a field that you don't know. So you might have started learning about pediatrics and by the end of your third week, you're really getting the hang of it. And you're like, OK, I, I'm, I can work with kids and I'm actually getting to know some of the common stuff so I can focus on learning the more interesting stuff. And now you're getting the hang of it. And then, bam, you got used to the team and now it's all changes. So and the thing is, I, I thought the hardest part was just one. No one like like people tell you what to do, but you're kind of expected to figure it out. Uh, like if someone if a resident tells you like, oh, do this, like you can ask, but you can't like ask like every step of the way. Like You just kind of got to go and do something and then send kind it, of, which I am typically good at. So I didn't have as much trouble, but it's just that's the expectation that you figure out a lot of the stuff on your own versus also. Like, when is it appropriate to ask questions? Like, which attending is okay to ask questions? Some attendings will be kind of a little rude and annoyed if you ask too many questions. Some attendings like the fact that you ask questions so and then there are times when you should and should not ask questions such as like on rounds in front of the patient you like sometimes they they'll appreciate some questions but not others because they don't want to talk about that in front of the patient and all of these things that you know no textbook will ever teach you you kind of have to read the social cues and and then at the end of it, some of it's just unreasonable. Some expectations, some residents will hold you to expectations that are unreasonable. Uh, it's, it's as if they've forgotten that they were ever a medical student. And it's it's kind of like, I can't read your minds. I cannot read anyone's minds. So you have to keep that in consideration when you're like interacting with me. But again, there's a hierarchy there. It's This, this is not like your professors where they're here to teach you. A lot of the residents and attendings not a lot but some residents and attendings will definitely see you as an annoyance more than anything that they're you're there you're kind of there and they kind some forcefully have to teach you if they do at all and a lot of them the really good attendings. so you'll have quite a few which are like really nice and they'll teach you um, and you'll also have really good uh, residents who will teach you and stuff but It's again just like You know for every two or three Good ones you have You'll probably have one okay or bad one And just interacting with everyone And doing all of this While at the same time Managing to study And then after that You know then you have some time for hobbies And stuff It's it's just a really really hectic time Plus a lot of like um, How do I say this every attending approaches something different so let's say you read something in the literature and you bring it up but they do it a certain different way you're wrong because they can't be right you know they can't be wrong so you are wrong and that one research article that you may have may have read or the guideline that you may have read is also wrong because they're always going to be right so that's not all attendings but you will learn quickly learn that the best supported resources are also not going to be always right. It depends on whichever attending you're going to be working with. They're going to be like, yeah, that doesn't work, and and then you're like, okay. And then sometimes you'll say something to the resident. You'll come up with a great assessment and plan. This happens l- more towards later end of third year. And then the resident's going to be like, no, that's that's bogus. And then they'll present their own plan to the attending, and the attending's going to say the exact same thing ye- that you told the resident. And now you're just left here with a smug face, but you can't say anything because you don't want to piss off the resident. So just the whole teamwork nature of it is really what, like, you know, like you have to work on. And for most of us, like we're, we're good at like reading social cues and whatnot, but just like working every day as a medical student being the lowest rung on the ladder of healthcare. Uh, Being like a periphery member, because you don't have actual authority to do anything, really, except like, you know, go talk to the patient, talk to the nurse. You can talk to as many people as you want. You can talk to anyone. Uh, Some attendings don't like being called by a a medical student, so I would not do that unless your residents give you permission. But aside from that, like anyone involved in your patient's care, you can kind of go and talk to them, ask them questions and stuff. But in terms of making decisions, you have like no authority there. Like, you know, even if you want to give them some water, you probably should ask the nurse because they may be NPO. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so but it's it, the whole fact that you have all of this going on while you still have to study and then some residents won't let you leave until they leave and you're, you're there until six o'clock and you're like, I really have to go home and still I have to study because my shelf is coming up. And then you may be doing research. So that, that was the hardest part. Like not having like just one thing to do. You have like five things to do and you're on someone else's schedule, not your own.
0: Yeah, I agree with you guys for the challenges. Like almost everything you said. Uh, Definitely the balance between the studying and you're basically working a full-time job and you also have to study. And so it's like kind of hard to balance those two things, like really hard sometimes when you're like going in six days a week, working many hours and then, Oh, every night you have to study or else you won't do on your shelf exam, which by the way is on your MSPE which will affect your residency. Right? So it's like, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, however, I will say this and I don't know if this is, I've heard from a lot of med students that third year is the hardest and the worst and all this stuff. I disagree. Third year for, I I can't say a fourth year yet because we're like new fourth years, but third year was my favorite. I love third year um to finally be able to be in the hospital to finally talk to patients to get to speak with doctors who are actually talking about real patients and seeing real scans and real medicine in a real hospital and not just reading a textbook or doing like fake cases all this stuff so refreshing and you're finally doing what you want to do for me like when i went into the hospital i was like this is why i'm here is because i want to be here working with the team treating patients And it was so interesting to me, like I remember, um, my first, like one of my early patients in IM had cirrhosis and I remember looking at the picture in the textbook, I'm sure you know about cirrhosis. I don't know if you've like seen a picture of a patient with cirrhosis, they have these big bellies, like yellow skin. And you're just like, this isn't real. I've never seen that. Like, what are you talking about? And then I saw a patient with cirrhosis and I was like, Oh, wow like this is real this is so interesting and like i've seen so many since then so it was just so cool to like see these weird things we're learning that i'd never seen before and then just like like seeing it in in real life you know and it's just and then be able to help them to get better and to treat them you know and it was just it's just really cool It was really rewarding to to work with uh, all the patients and everything
2: i agree when i when i started third year even though like the lack of structure kills me um every single day and just like interacting with patients kind of like upsets that a little bit or for most of the part like just being in the hospital um you know seeing the kids and like playing with the kids and just like I really like I really enjoy that part of my pediatrics um clerkship And then, like, we just were so lucky because our residents, they would take time and go out of their ways um, to teach us, like, different topics and different things. Not so much the attendance, but you kind of, like, get the hang of it because, like, they're so busy. They have so many other things in their lives uh, going on. But, like, sometimes the residents, just because they want to refresh their memory, too, because they're studying for exams, uh, they they might take some time out of their – out of their day to actually like teach us like about different topics. Um, and then like right now I'm in internal medicine. Um, so, in, you know, with internal medicine you tend to round with patients. And although I love the medical process, I love learning about like, and you also remember a lot better when you see a patient with like all these conditions that you only saw on the textbook. Uh, you remember the condition a lot better and you remember what the protocol is to like to arrive to that decision to that medical decision and then like the planning assessment um but you know the only thing is like all of the rounding and you round and round for hours (laughs) um just talking about all the different patients and three hours goes by um and then you know next thing you know it's 12 and then you round again and the next thing you know it's four (laughs) so that's kind of like how internal medicine has kind of like been for me um but then you know another thing the beauty of clinical rotations is like uh, you get to experience other uh, specialties that you wouldn't otherwise so for example like OB obstetrics Um, I was one of those people that said no I would never do OB that's not for me not at all, but then after I rotated there, and I think it was in part because of how amazing my um my uh, the doctor that I was with, how amazing she was, uh play into that, and just like also the patients so you know it also gives you like a better idea of of a much better idea than just reading and like just watching youtube videos of what the specialty is like and then if you want to go even a step forward you can just shadow a resident for the whole time that you're there like for a week but um i agree with you that clinical it's just it's way better at least for me even though it's hard to find time to study and you kind of like just go like base of questions. You have to do questions to learn. And like if you have a good foundation, you know, you're onto a good start. If you're done, then like it's more time kind of like relearning stuff that you were supposed to already know. And then like adding more like the assessment and plan things. Um, but then like just interacting with people and like interacting with patients, um, That's that's really like an invaluable, experience and that's the reason why we're here at least um those are i don't know i know some people want to go into radiology just because (laughs) 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 just because they don't really want to talk to patients but um for you know the most of us in medical school that's why we're here just to interact with these people and like learn about diseases while they're happening in front of us and then there was something else that i wanted to say but i kind of like forgot so (laughs) if you guys want to take over (laughs) (laughs) no you're good
0: and yeah like just to emphasize that some more like it was such a privilege to be like in like I viewed it this way some people complained but like I always viewed it like yeah it's hard it's you know it's difficult to be a medical student but like it was such a privilege to see these patients because, like I said, it, it wasn't real to me, like, learning in a textbook. It was kind of like me just trying to learn these things, and then it became real. And these are real people in front of me that I can contribute to the team, and they're telling me things that they might even not tell their families or their best friends. And just because we're medical students, they're, like, opening up to us. And it's, su- it's really such a privilege to be able to do that. And I think it's so important as an M1 or M2 to remember, like, that's what you're here for—is like those opportunities, and they trust you so much at this point, even even before you're a doctor, you know. And yeah. and t- to me, just that was so meaningful, and and I got to see, and I feel like, and in, in some ways, as a student, you can make a difference. No, you don't get to make the final decisions, but there are the little things you can do for these patients, and it's really it's really rewarding to, to help them in that way.
2: I um, I remember what I was gonna say, so. As far you know when it comes to like contributing to the team there is nothing more rewarding than when you do an assessment and plan for your patient and you tell the attending and they agree with you that's like the best feeling ever or like there is no other very feeling than when you go and you talk to that difficult patient that the resident couldn't talk to and you get them to tell you their story and to tell you like their list of medications. And then at the end they tell you, see you tomorrow, I want to introduce you to my wife. There is no better feeling than that. So don't think that because you're a medical student and because you're at the bottom of the barrel, like that you don't matter and that you don't contribute to the team. Even like our residents, they tell us like, oh my God, if you guys are not here, just making these calls to like the nursing home or to like um, to the family member to find out more about like the bigger picture for this patient we would have stayed in the hospital for like another three four hours so you guys really save us some time and another thing too um, that I think for me like when you're in a hospital no no task is be- is beneath you or like less than you you know like if if a random patient even if the patient is not your patient ask you for water find out where the water machine is and get them the water you know if they ask you for a blanket find out where the blanket is if the nurse needs like help just like cleaning this patient like maybe changing the sheets or something and they just need you to hold the patient and that's your patient you're in the room help the nurse that's fine it's your patient at the end of the day and I strongly believe this everyone that's in the hospital is in the hospital only because the patients are there and we're there for them so if you know everything that we do you know Ideally, intentionally has to be for the patient, for the comfort and like the betterment of the patient. So even as a medical student, you do can make that difference in just like little things. But um, you're there and your help matters and what you have to say also matters. Um, And your observation of your patient matters. Just like tell your attending, tell your residents what you think and um, you know, they'll work with you.
3: Absolutely. And I think it's really easy, especially in the pre clerkship time, for the first and second year medical students to kind of lose sight of what it is to be a medical student. And I know I, you know, get stuck in all the studying and the monotony of that day to day, but I'm really looking forward to the clerkship time. Even now, and I don't know if the M4s did this, uh, but we now have pre clerkships uh, where we go once a week to an outpatient setting, you know, and we're little. With little rotations right they're not hospitals they're all like you know outpatient small clinics here and there and they're random things my last one was an oral facial surgeon but outpatient for that's kind of boring if you think about it right it's just x-rays of teeth but then now, now i did um internal medicine was my most recent one and i did that for you know four or five weeks and that was great i would go and do the history and talk to them do all the vitals and things and present to the doctor just like a regular clerkship and that was fun I would go there really stressed out because I was like, I have to study, there's a test coming up. And then I would leave so excited about being a medical student and getting to be a doctor. And it would just make me so much happier because, like, the day before, I was just thinking about how this is awful and I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but, you know, going back to the actual clinic setting and really doing what we're here to do and what we're here to learn, it's really refreshing. And so I'm very excited <laughs> for the clerkship years.
4: Yeah, I always tell people what gets me up at five in the morning to drive an hour to come to school is kind of thinking about what my future is going to look like and kind of why I'm here to begin with. Um, I'm extremely grateful that I had the chance to kind of see what I'm going to do for the rest of my life um, because it really, I'm not even kidding you, it wakes me up in the morning. Like it kind of gives you that extra push where it's like I'm struggling right now, but this is the end goal. Like this is just a piece of the puzzle that needs to happen in order for me to get there and I think it really served as like a teaser for me where it's kind of like I cannot wait. I know that third year has, of course, its challenges. And it. I kind of got the chance to see that because we did have a lot of medical students in our office. And I always kind of wondered, like, they're struggling. Like, I, I would always think to myself, like, you know, they have all this pressure to perform well because something a simple for me like I I of course know all of these doctors like the back of my hand and I know kind of what they like what they don't like what they're going to ask next and it's kind of like these medical students don't know that like they don't know what's going to be asked next they don't know what to answer or what to say or even just to speak with patients like taking a history which was like something I did every single day like of course they're going to struggle because they don't do this every day they were in a different specialty they were studying a different thing and it's a it's a whole other struggle that I'm glad I got to see from an outside perspective coming into it now um but i will say that i think i just that kind of really propels me forward like i cannot wait to get to third year and like have those experiences i like i miss seeing patients on a daily basis so much i miss having those connections and i just i feel like third year is kind of like where you kind of get to do that again so i'm just definitely excited it kind of moves me forward
1: yeah so just to echo all of that i agree with darisol and nick like it Definitely is so much more fun than preclinical as much as as much fun as I had learning and Having breakdowns <laughs> But no seriously, I I had fun during first and second year. I learned the material I did But I'm glad it's over and then now we're in third and fourth year where we actually get to work with patients and Even working with patients will get boring. Um, I will say once you're working a lot harder it's going to get to a point where you just start seeing cases instead of people. Uh, you start seeing diagnoses instead of patients who have lives outside of this. Um, the one thing I do recommend to people entering preclinical, as I mean clinical, as well as people who might already be in it like third years. So the, my recommendation is the more you really get to know the patients, uh, as third and fourth years, you don't have the increased workload that interns and other residents and physicians will have. So the one thing you're afforded is time that you could spend per patient. So the one thing that really increased my joy in medicine has been afternoon visits. I've talked about this with Nick previously, and what I found, and I found this a little bit later, but was that I would go see them in the morning and I would go see my patients in the afternoon. I would kind of ask them like how they're doing and sometimes they would, you know, tell me things by the about themselves and things like that and I would have a great experience like, oh, like I'd get to learn about them. But then I was ultimately there to see how they were doing medically speaking. If whatever test was supposed to be done was done, if their labs were drawn, how they were feeling, do a quick physical exam, make sure I saw them and then call it a day. And if I got that other information, that was great, and I enjoyed that. Now I make it a point to go see the patients in the afternoon, not for a medical reason. While I'm there, that is not the primary purpose. I will obviously do a physical exam and ask them how they're doing, if they're having any persisting symptoms or whatnot, but that is not my goal. I don't start with that. I I end with that. My starting point is, hey, I'm involved in your care, Hello, Mr. So and So or Mrs. So and So. I'm involved in your care. I saw you this morning, um, but I don't know you at all. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself so that I can get to know you and maybe that'll help me, you know, in caring for you better. But if not, I will know who I am caring for. Um, so and then, you know, I kind of just ask, like, okay, what do you do? What are like, like, who do you live with, or like, what other family members, like? W- what have you been doing if you're retired what, what did you used to do what are your hobbies like how do you spend your time basically and once they kind of start talking they like trust you a lot more and i have a lot more fun taking care of those patients i have a lot more ownership of the patients that i'm taking care of once i know who they are like i had a patient tell me that they were a plumber and they really like pipes they really liked the work that they were doing they enjoyed it they said that they could they would do it as a hobby if they could they cannot do it anymore but they that was their previous profession and they were absolutely in love with it and they still that's the, one of their hobbies like to do that just for fun for someone so to learn that was amazing you know and I learned a lot more about some. this one patient. I found out that he had an incarceration, um, which actually changed the our care moving forward because there were some other things that we had to test for knowing that he has that history, mm-hmm. that he had only recently been out of jail. And there are things that you learn for the patients that will contribute to their care. And there are things that you'll learn that won't contribute to their care, but it will you'll be able to make a special bond with your patient and i think that's more for you than them very honestly but this this will bring you joy like if if you connect with the patients that you're taking care of you will be more invested in doing right by them you'll also be very invested in like making sure you're not doing anything wrong you'll you'll go home you'll look things up not just because of a medical perspective but you know mr so and so is almost a friend now like you you should do something good for them or you don't want to make like and i i was doing that in my third year even before having these visits because i wanted to do well by my patients i wanted to impress my residents and attendings but i felt like the priority was off there now it's kind of like i i want to do right by these people i want to make sure that i'm getting everything i need to the attendings will obviously catch any mistakes i have but if there's any new literature that they may not be aware of i want to know what it is if that's going to provide better care for them. So that's just my two cents on this.
0: Yeah, that was really awesome. Um, Yeah, go ahead. You had anything? Oh, okay. So I just wanted to ask the uh, next question. Uh, I think we talked a lot about the clinical aspect. So I wanted to ask if you had any advice about studying in clinicals.
2: Oh my God! I'm looking for advice on how to study and doing <laughs> clinicals. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, it's it's all about um, uh, MOV. MOV is um, oh, I completely forgot the name, but it's a learning resource online. It's the guy with the cat. online, oh, online, me.
0: online method.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's O M E. Online Medit. It's I've, I've found like it's it's such a good resource t- just to kinda like refresh yourself. I don't necessarily like take notes because I kinda like left my days of taking notes back in um, fundamentals. <laughs> but <laughs> but I do watch those videos and then I reinforce it with the with the U World questions. Uh, For You World questions, the way that I do those questions is that I flag the questions that I had no idea, like, what was going on in that question. Just that I can maybe, um, I'm hoping to revisit those questions. And then um, the ones where the topics, like, after... um, like, I got the question wrong, but, like, I knew what was going on, and it was just because I had, like, a misinterpretation of uh, whatever the questions was saying. I, I just make, like, a, a note in my books. And I know this is a podcast, so you guys cannot see this, but I'm showing it to everyone here. I just have, like, little notes here of, like, how I kind of, like, just take a one-liner of what I learned from that specific question on you, UWorld. So that's kind of, like, are my only two resources that I'm using like currently to study for clerkships. Uh, I really hope that works. Um, I know other of my classmates, what they do is that they do Anki, but Anki has never worked for me. Um, I try to force it during Uh, doing systems but it just didn't work so I'm not using it right now and just sticking to my videos and my questions and trying not to diversify myself too much because I don't want to be pulled into too many directions especially with the time constraint that we have it's just like you guys were mentioning it's it's just uh, we only have a few hours of the day to actually dedicate it to study and i also want to go work out i I also want to go and like have like a a 30 minute run you know so i want to fit that into my schedule as well so that's kind of like what i do i do 20 questions of you world when i'm eating like at night i um i watch online med ed for like some videos and i go based on that. on that how do you guys do it during third year just studying
0: Yeah. When I was a third year, um, I did use some online med ed, but I didn't use it all the time. I definitely didn't use it like for everything. Honestly, it was like mostly UWorld. So I would just do questions, no matter how tired I was at the end of the day, if I was in surgery rotation in there all day, I, I did at least an hour, usually two hours, maybe even three hours when I got home to study. Um, depending on the rotation, you'll have more time or less time, but I always made sure to study every, every time I got home. And that, that's what I did. And I stuck with it and it really helped me. Even if it's 10 questions or whatever on UWorld, I always did that. And if there was anything on UWorld I didn't know about, sometimes I'd watch online med but honestly, I would just look it up on AMBOSS and learn it from AMBOSS, maybe even do questions specifically on that subject to learn it. And that was enough for me to learn. And then other than that, learning from my patients, I think is sometimes undervalued so like i said when i had my patient with cirrhosis i looked up to date i was reading primary resources for that and it really helped me remember everything about that disease because i had a patient with it and i know what we did for that patient um and so really just those things was what i did and it it helped me really and that was pretty thorough as well
1: no, I agree with that. Um, I will say I was very burned out after step one and it took me a long, 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 long time before I found the will to really start studying very hard. Like It it took me more than six months after step one was done. At even more, actually, my third year, a lot of my third year was not spent studying nearly as much as I should have. Um, I will say having a strong foundation in step one made everything so much easier because during, i i barely had to start like for the new material that i was getting oftentimes i could figure it out based on the th- information i knew and then just how to add a few additional steps um i primarily did uworld but i know a lot of my classmates were finishing like UWorld world once for internal medicine or whatnot i remember having finished like 30 percent when i took my shelf like that's it um primary pri- primarily I learned from my patients um, I learned a lot from up to date so because I would always be looking things up and then up to date and doing other things for my presentations and whatnot uh, just for my patients is how I learned and shelf has a different uh, sections such as inpatient outpatient and uh, like emergency uh, ambulatory that's what it's called so I Since I had an internal medicine rotation primarily inpatient with no outpatient component, I did fantastic in inpatient because I saw all of those patients and I learned all of the things I needed to from that group. I did like fantastic. But then the outpatient group, I did terrible because I didn't do that many questions. So I didn't learn as much that I needed to know from that rotation. So I would say definitely learn from your patients but also do the questions because you will see a lot of things that you won't actually be able to see in your rotation as well so just manage your time wisely and every day if you do a little bit you don't have to study nearly as much as preclinicals. you just have to study a little bit every day and then spend your weekends wisely spend a little bit more time studying on the weekends and you could still have a good amount of time left to do for your hobbies so i think that's good enough for the studying. There are some things I wanted to add. Okay, go ahead, Nick.
0: Well, I just wanted to say one thing and then I think is very valuable for the clerkship years for studying is study throughout the day. Um, If you have five minutes, do one UWorld question. Um, You'll realize you don't really have as many blocks of time available as you did in preclinical, like where you could sit down for just hours to study. Sometimes you have 10 minutes and those really add up throughout your time on the rotation. So I would definitely take advantage of that. Either bring your iPad or your phone and just do UWorld, download the app. That was really helpful. I did many, many questions just randomly if I was in the back of the OR not scrubbed in and so it, like nothing was happening. Okay, I'll do
1: a couple questions. Like, I think that's really important. Um, so going forward, I, w- I had questions about the fourth year because that isn't really a transition point. Um, since it's kind of continuous with the third year and you're still doing clinics. Although now you have a lot more autonomy over what you want to do since you're able to pick what rotations you want to do, what electives you want to do. Um, I just wanted to Nick ask Nick, how did you kind of decide what rotations to do and what was the toughest part of fourth year for you?
0: Um, I think the hardest part of fourth year, as anybody says, is like the whole application process because it's stressful. It's like, it's definitely different from applying to medical school, but it's you need all these letters. You have to write your personal statement. You have to work on your CV. You have to figure all these things out. T- take your step two, and now like, step two will be so important with the score and everything. So to me, like just getting the application and re- ready was so stressful and just difficult. It still is frantically checking my emails during the podcast for interviews, but, um, you know, so it's just, for me, that's the hardest part. Um, what's nice is you do need to study in the sense that if you have a patient that you don't know anything about and you're responsible for them, like as responsible as a student is, you need to study that, but you don't have a test. So you're not like studying all the time, worried about your shelf exam, which is really nice when you're on like the clinic and you're just kind of doing what you got to do. And then you go home and do whatever you need to do. Um, so I thought that was like better, um, but for the most part, I think the hardest part is, is the application.
3: No,
1: I, I definitely agree with that. I did want to say, if you're doing away rotations, I, for me, the hardest part was going everywhere. So my first away rotation was in Atlanta. So going from Florida to Atlanta, getting an Airbnb the, the two days before my rotation starts, and then kind of adjusting to going. And I was doing a general surgery uh, elective. And I would le- I would wake up at 4 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock every day. Kind of get there early enough. Actually, I not 3.30, 4.30. I would wake up at 4.30, get there at between 5 5.00 to 5.30. And I would come home anywhere between 5 to 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And then I would have to read up on my cases for the next day because a lot of the procedures we were doing were really cool procedures that I did not have the knowledge of fourth year should. As a third year, you're expected to know the anatomy a little bit. And as a fourth year, the anatomy is good, but you should also know some of the more more nuances. Not as much as a resident maybe, but you should know a lot more. You should also know the patient and things that you should have been mindful of when looking at the patient beforehand even if you've never seen the patient before so you have to go through their chart Uh, so having to do that in the two three hours that i had at home and then eating um and then i would just pass out kind of like just fall asleep while reading up for the next day and then i would wake up and then i would rinse and repeat do that six days a week and it would it would really like it kind of pushes you and the, the to the fact that you're in a city that you don't know with people you don't know you don't you've never met you can't consider anyone a friend really everyone's evaluating you because you're at an away rotation so you're trying to impress everyone there so you really can't like let your guard down obviously you, you're you you do not have to be too rigid all the time but it does feel very isolating and tiring when everything that you're doing and that's just one rotation you do that and then you go to uh, for some competitive specialities away rotations are expected I have a friend who's doing five back to back to back orthopedic rotations and he's absolutely tired so to kind of do that is the toughest part for me Uh, so after that I came back to Fort Lauderdale and then I had had to go to move to West Palm where I had a really bad housing situation Uh, at my Airbnb and then after that I moved to Orlando which is where my home is thankfully so I it wasn't too much of a trouble but just kind of moving while having to deal with applications and with the expectation that fourth years are supposed to kind of not only help the third years which we definitely should be doing but also kind of like know their way around the hospital at this point in time and be expected. Now you can't say like, Oh, I'm a 30. I don't know. And that's an okay answer. Now you're like, I can't, you can't say, Oh, I'm just a fourth year. I don't know. Now you're expected to know some stuff at least. And that was the hardest for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, when I did my away rotation, it was really hard with the housing and they're like going, and it was just so expensive too, cause I had to pay double rent, which wasn't nice. But um, I mean, it was a great experience. And I think like, in addition to what you're saying of like, there's more expectation of you as a fourth year, you also know a lot more about what you're doing. So yes. when you go in as a third year, let's say you do internal medicine, it's like, I've never done this before. Like maybe it's your first rotation or maybe it's just your first internal medicine rotation. But then if you go on as a fourth year doing internal medicine, you're like, okay, I have some experience with this and I've done all my clerkships. So I know a little bit more about what I'm doing and my expectations. And also people like trust you a little bit more as a fourth year I found. So like as a third year, you're not necessarily able to do as much. Whereas a fourth year, I was also more confident in my ability to like do things. So a lot more like procedures, I was able to do like IVs and like intubations and all that stuff. And it was just like way better for me because i got to do these things um but um i think you had a question right there just to move on to the next yes
2: i had a question for you guys so um, how do you schedule your electives and kind of like what's the timeline are you meant to like have your elective begin in june or like may kind of like and also that um along with the whole application process my understanding is that is that eras like opens in june so then, like some people were might have been doing their electives during the whole submission process to of ERAS. so how, how is that for us here at NSU?
0: Yeah, so for our school and for a lot of schools, you have to have a certain amount of credits. Um, usually, like for our school, we have to have a certain amount of clinical credits, and then we can do some like other electives and stuff that aren't necessarily with the patient, such as this podcast elective. Um, and then you also have to take step two in your fourth year. So for me, what I did was I started right after third year into like a dedicated study period that I scheduled and then took step two right after that. And the reason was because I wanted my knowledge to be fresh and I wanted to have my score in by the time I did ERES. I know some people do like a sub-I or electives and kind of study and then take it later on. For me, I just wanted to go right through it, get it done, and then just be done with it. Um, You also want to schedule like away electives, like away rotations at programs that you're interested in. And that would be through What's it called? V-Slow. 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 So you, wanna g- you have to apply through VSlow and it's like all this, you have to upload like a CV usually, your scores, your all this stuff. It's like a whole application process. And
1: that's usually done in March, which is, so V-Slow yeah. is typically not too expensive. Um, some programs require money, but for the most part, they only require administrative fees such as like a, it's a $50, $100, which is what it was for Orlando Health because they needed to get me a badge and parking decal and stuff like that, so they said $1,500. I applied to some of them, which if you are accepted, you have to pay $300, $400. But again, none of them are super expensive, like thousands of dollars or anything like that. Um, And when you apply, you don't have to pay anything. You can apply. Um I don't remember paying anything when I applied, right, yeah, Nick? It yes. cost
0: money to apply. Oh, you did? Yes, it definitely oh, did. Yes, I think it was yes. like fifteen dollars oh, each.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. We've so spent fiv- so
0: much money on stuff for school. It's just okay. <laughs> okay.
1: so but it was fifteen dollars per application. So not too bad, uh, unless you plan to apply to every place. So there is that, which again typically starts in March. You can fill it out and the ro- the programs should start reaching out to you depending on when your rotations are. So for our school, we can start, I think, April, right? April or end of April or May is when we can really start uh, our rotations. Uh, If you're taking step two, you can like delay that till June, which is what I did because I also took it then. Now, you said that ERAS starts in June or it opens up in June. So that's correct, but this is very different compared to medical school applications in that, one, it does not take nearly as much time to complete as your medical school application, and two, you have until September 27th to submit the application, and it does not matter when you submit it, as long as you submitted before 27th. So if you submitted before the 27th, no one kind of uh, no program directors are able to look at it until the 28th. So all they see is that you had it submitted when they first are able to see it. So you have until that much time, unless you're talking about the supplemental application, which is due in September 14th. Although that also does not take too much time to fill out. Now during your rotations, you should be like working on your personal statement even before you ERAS starts opening if you're you know f- fixed on a specialty have your personal statement draft done and then the experiences in section a lot. Lot of your CV is going to be kind of copy and pasted into your experiences, so it doesn't take too long. It honestly, it surprised me how little time it took for me to complete the application. And also, there's no like secondaries for most programs. There, you don't have to write individualized essays or anything like that. So you can kind of just finish the application and be done with it. So as long as you're working in the weekends a little bit every, like weekend for the past like you know in, in July and August I think you should be more than fine I didn't even do that and I was definitely I'd submitted it before the time was due so I, I don't think worrying is necessary because it's not a long process so you should be able to get it done but just spend a little bit of time over your weekends to finish the application the biggest part is to get your letters of recommendations in because you can finish the application a week before you shouldn't but you can start it and t- technically you could really finish all of your application the, the week before but if you don't ask for letters of rec they won't be able to write it in time and submit it and sometimes they take a while so that's my biggest advice
0: and I think that for the letters of recommendation I would definitely recommend you start asking in third year Yes. Um, if you don't use it that's okay but it's great as a backup at the very least um, and we have a whole podcast that we recorded about the whole ERAS application, um, but I just wanted to open up the floor to you guys if you had any questions about the clinical years regarding, um, pr- like, as preclinical students, or you could ask your question too if you had one.
2: No, I guess my question was just like regarding letters of recommendations. Yeah. So when you are not, because um, when you're not too sure which specialty to go to, you know, how, how do you approach that? Like just asking those letters to um, to the attendants?
0: So I know like I applied anesthesiology. You don't need three anesthesiology letters. So in fact, like they don't want three letters. They usually want other specialties in addition to anesthesiology. So let's say you're on internal medicine and you get an internal medicine letter that you could still use that for a lot of the specialties you're applying to. So every specialty is different, um, but also the worst case is you don't use it and that's okay. I mean, you had it, it it didn't work out. Like that's fine. Or they say no, in which case like, okay, whatever, but it's just better to ask. And you want to ask for a strong letter of recommendation. And you also want to ask somebody who really knows you don't just go asking around everybody. I know some people did that, that would be too much. But if, if you like know, for instance, you really worked with this attending, they really liked you or if they offered, sometimes they'll be like, you know, you did such a great job. If you need anything from me, like a letter, just let me know. They're probably going to write you a really good letter and I would take advantage of that. And even if you don't know what specialty you're going into, especially if they make a comment like that, it's worth getting that letter from them. And I would just, make sure, you know, also you don't want to wait to the last minute and be like, Hey, remember you said I was so awesome, like a year and a half ago. Like, would you mind writing me a letter? It's due in a week. Like that's not a really good plan, right? Like you want to get it then and then they'll have it and then, okay, let's see you go back or whatever. They might see you again, but at least they had a draft for you written. And then you can upload it later.
1: No, I totally agree with what Nick has said. And then
0: another thing that I would also say is always ask for feedback. And then if you think that there's a chance you would ask him for a letter in that feedback conversation, like, Hey, you know, I want to know where can I improve and what I've been doing really well with. And then you could kind of be like, I'm thinking about getting a letter. I'm thinking about this specialty. Like, and if you were to write me a letter, what would you expect from like me as a student? And it kind of gets that conversation started. And you can also get the idea of like, is this somebody who, really wants to write me a letter because they're giving me a lot of good feedback and saying I'm amazing. Or are they like, you know, you really got to improve on a lot of these things and I don't feel strong writing you a letter right now. And that's easier than like at the last day of the rotation, you're like, Hey, can you write me a letter? And they're like, eh, I don't know about that one. And always ask in person as well. Like, I don't think it's, it's not like the end of the world if you have to email them, but in person is always the best
1: no in-person is definitely the way to go and also s- give yourself time to ask them letter of recommendation don't do it don't wait until the last day of the rotation because if they don't come that day for whatever reason then you're kind of left trying to find them after your rotation's done and you never want that plus if you set the expectation from the beginning then they have s- they'll keep you in mind and they'll observe you a little bit more closely so that they can write you a letter of recommendation and they'll also talk to residents so that you know they they'll ask what the residents think about you because when i were asked for a letter of recommendation uh, with an apd at my surgery rotation he said oh i really liked you and i would love to but he's like let me talk to the residents let me see what they think about you and if they say great things i would love to write you a letter and he talks to the resident. He's like, they love you. And they're going to give me their feedback as well. I'm going to incorporate that. And he's like, you got yourself a good letter. And then typically, if someone's going to write you a good letter, one of the signs you'll know is they will invite you to talk to them. Um, they'll ask for your CV and stuff. And then they'll ask you questions. So they'll ask you questions. So for this, you know, we had a nice conversation, an hour, an hour and a half about, you know, just like why I wanted to go into medicine, what interested me in that particular field and what other things I've done and things like that. He went over my CV and he's like, oh, you did this or you went here and blah, blah, blah. And so he's like and then he, he took notes and I was like, OK, this is going to be a really strong letter because he cares enough to like do this. So he's he's going to actually care enough to write more than a generic letter. So that's just one thing. If they don't do that, that doesn't mean they're gonna write you a bad letter. I'm just saying if they do this, that's a strong sign that points towards a good letter. So
4: Yeah, I guess my question would kind of be like, especially after submitting your ERAS and going through that process, like what is something that you feel if you would have, you know, been a first year at the time that kind of would have helped your application or just helped the process, like what would you do?
1: So I will say we have a, an entire podcast dedicated to this called ERAS. Uh, look out for it on the Sink or Swim podcast channel. Um, and for a further in-depth uh, infra- uh, answer, you should check it out. But for now, I will just say keep an updated CV. Like If you do anything in medical school, write it down. Write down what you did, where you did it, what date you did it, who the advisor was, and write down a little bit about why you cared enough to do it and what you learned from it. Just like that's like three sentences, four sentences max. Every in Everything that you do in medical school, write it down, put it in your CV, because I guarantee you, you will forget it during fourth year. When we were applying, th- we've done stuff that we do not remember now because we did it during M1 or M2 year, and it's long gone now. So it helps to keep that down to another thing that we did if you have patient experiences or like if, if as andrew said he's doing like mini internships or going every week to uh, different specialists so if you have interesting patient experiences Write it down because it will help you when you're writing down your personal statement. You might not be interested in internal medicine now or otolaryngology right now or whatever have you. But if you write down a meaningful patient experience or a meaningful encounter you had with a physician or what have you, if he decides to go into that field later on, you can use that. And then like at that time, now you remember what you thought about it at the time. So you have it to really help with your... Uh, personal statement, and it can, it can really improve it. So that's one of the few things that I would say you can really improve as an M1. And for an in-depth answer, really check out our podcast because we we talk about you know professional memberships, experiences in medical school, leadership activities, and research and other things that you can work on and what the different sections are and how you can prepare or er, ahead of time.
0: Um, and just to add to that for the CV, not only is it useful for ERAS, but you might end up talking to a physician and they're like, oh, you could do research with me or something. And they're, they'll probably be like, oh, send me your CV. And if you're like, oh no, like I have nothing, I have undergrad and that's it. Like it's a good idea just to have that ready, just something, it doesn't need to be perfect. But then also when you go to ERAS and you forget everything, cause you will, um, it's really helpful. And I recommend. Everybody who has like a phone has a notes app, like an iPhone, just write it down while you're at the hospital or in your clinic. Like, Hey, this patient was really interesting because of this and this and that, and half of it, you're probably not going to use maybe even more of it, but you might get something that's gold from that, you know? And I know I, you can look at my notes on my phone. I have this random stuff. Some of it was in my personal statement when I wrote it just because it was meaningful enough and it stuck with me.
4: Thank you. I appreciate the non-in-depth answer. That was actually kind of somewhat in-depth, so thank you.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. I think we are finished with our podcast and there's no more questions. Thank you guys so much for joining us, especially to our guests. Uh,
1: Thank you, everyone, for attending, and thank you for our listeners for listening. Have a nice day. And do our guests want to give any closing remarks?
4: I think it's just, if you're listening to this and you're passionate enough about medical school to listen to the conversations, I think you're already kind of one step ahead of the game. Um, I think just my closing remark would just be to always remember that you are special in some way. And even though imposter syndrome is very real in medical school, just know that you have a place here and that the end goal will be accomplished. You just have to get there.
1: Love your beautiful, beautiful (laughs) self.
4: Exactly. (laughs)
0: Make sure you're tall. So
1: you don't get
3: bullied. Yeah, Yeah. so just to kind of echo, you will make it through med school. Getting in really is the hardest part. And other than that, it's just adjusting to the lifestyle. And the lifestyle, as we just discussed for the past two hours, will continue to change as you progress through the four years. Uh, So just take it one day at a time and push through, and you will be fine
2: i would say my closing remark is just you know see this as an adventure you know as an experience you're going through medical school um you're learning all these beautiful concepts and then next thing you know you're a third year and you have a patient in front of you with like all the things that you learned when you were a first and second year and um and like it makes you realize oh my god this is why i study so much and so hard so look at it as um as a beautiful experience that you're cruising through just walking through and absorbing everything and also just don't take anything personal just be centered in yourself um don't compare yourself to your peers everyone is trying to do their best some people want to go into something more competitive they're doing like 10 plus 20, 100 things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that has to be you. Um, so just focus on yourself and, uh, you know, just do your best. Um, like Andrew said, the hardest thing is to get into medical school. Once you're here, everyone wants to keep you here. So, um, you know, you always ha- will find people who would are going to help you to just stay on your course and continue to move forward.
0: all right sounds good thank you so much for joining us and have a good rest of your day